welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social, and political imagination. Welcome to the final episode of the Tent Talks series, Women in Church Leadership. My name is Chris Marchand. Our premise is simple. I talk with a set of women in leadership within the church and ask them the same set of questions, allowing them to tell their stories and perspectives. If you look back over the past episodes, a narrative thread has emerged and will continue to do so. This is episode four, The Future. Let's start here. For our final episode, we are looking at what the women I interviewed hope for the future. But for now, I want to share with you the original catalyst for this series. It has to do with how I have seen younger women treated and the expectations placed upon them by their parents, their culture, and even their potential and eventual husbands. I've worked in Christian education and church ministry going on two decades now. Here is something I've noticed that haunts me. I have seen countless brilliant young women. These are teenagers whose writing abilities are vastly beyond their male counterparts. Their ability to understand, interpret, and articulate multiple meanings in a text, since I'm mostly a literature and history and Bible teacher, has often left me astounded. I've met numerous young women who leave me feeling wholly inadequate when it comes to musical talent, singing, acting, and other artistic capabilities. I had one young woman in a class recently, a Bible and church history class, and a junior hire who I thought had the capabilities of being a theologian or Bible scholar, and I made sure I told her parents. I get so excited thinking about the futures of these young women that I've had the honor, the privilege to teach. Except I don't get excited. Do you know why? Do you know what I know? To start with, the girl that I saw potential in being a theologian attends a church in a tradition that absolutely in no way allows women to be ordained to ministry at any level. There's no path for her unless she realizes she needs to break away from her family. If she ever is to be a theologian, rather than finding the support of her family and church community, she'll face rejection and condemnation at every turn, until she either gives up or has to distance herself from them completely. I get sad thinking about either of those options. Does it really have to turn out that way? That's one side of these scenarios. Here's the other. I have observed numerous stories about young women where it seems like families are playing with the future of their daughters. It's almost like they give them an education to humor them until it comes time to fulfill their true destinies, their true vocation, wifehood, motherhood, homemakers. I have seen these women enter college and cut it short halfway through, if that, only to begin having children at 20 
21 years old. Now, I'm not scrutinizing when people decide to get married or having kids. There are all manner of approaches about how and when to be parents. My grave concern is about the course of these women's lives. In most of the situations I've seen, there is absolutely no expectation that the woman will go back to college to finish her degree. No support for them to pursue their own profession or vocation. It all stops for these women. Again, I ask, does it have to be that way? What if women can step into their roles both as mothers and as whatever profession or vocation or calling they feel led to pursue? And please note, every single one of the women I spoke with has children and have made their vocations work, despite not having systems around them that supported them in doing so. Before I go any further, here are a few points that I want to touch on. First, who is this podcast for? When I was interviewing Emily McGowan, she brought up an insecurity I had about making this series, which is that I might be wasting these women's time and bringing up tired questions about women in ministry that they are always being asked. Was each question I asked eliciting an internal eye roll from them? Emily had this response. No, no, no. And I, I haven't felt that way, but I, but I get that, right? And that's the challenge because on the one hand, I want to give time to the kinds of situations in which I can encourage, number one, encourage other women, Number two, maybe encourage the men who need some, I don't know, some word of support so they can be good allies. But you also, like you said, you don't want to spend your time just having the same old arguments, the same old discussions, uh, because then you really are just spinning your wheels and not doing the work you need to do. So I was reassured that what I am doing does have a purpose. But who is this podcast series for? In many ways, it is in no way for women like Emily, Abby, Joy, April, and Carolyn. Instead, I'm hoping that men find it, especially pastors, church leaders, fathers, and husbands. But this series is also for mothers who want more for their daughters but don't know how to envision another life for them. Look at these women's lives. Look at what is possible. Finally, this podcast series is for any young woman that happens to find it. I know you'll know what to do with what you hear. I trust you. Point number two. Let's talk about the zeitgeist. At the moment, the conversation I am having with these women seems to be part of a much larger cultural moment, both within the church and the culture at large. I'm not sure where this podcast series falls in that conversation, but here are a few other connections I've found. To start with, there are a number of other church-related podcasts and articles and voices on Twitter and books. It's endless. Like I feel like so many people are having a similar conversation. One of those that I recently discovered is called Bodies Behind the Bus, a podcast. They make the point to center the voices of spiritual abuse victims, the majority of whom seem to be women. I encourage you to go check out what they're doing as they've raised up the stories of many who have suffered church abuse. Then there are songs, like the recent release from Bjork, which features the song Victimhood. Victimhood. 
The lyrics include lines such as, And who am I that this happened to? Victimhood. Rejection it left a void. That is never ever satisfied. Sunk into victimhood. The song is left vague enough that any woman listening to it can read into it her own story. Then there are films. The most recent ones that come to mind are Women Talking by the director Sarah Pauly. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. Just better than hatred of the familiar. We could not endure any more violence. And then there is Don't Worry, Darling by Olivia Wilde. Perhaps its most iconic line is the very simple and climactic Stop Her. Stop her, you idiots! Stop her! Stop her. Yes. They certainly keep trying, don't they? These are only the current cultural connections in my direct view. What other correlations could you make? With those precursors out of the way, let's get to today's question. What are your hopes for women in the church 50 years from now? And along with that, What advice would you give to a younger woman wanting to become a leader, perhaps a younger version of yourself? I'd like to offer two answers of my own. The first has to do with my hopes for men. Both Emily McGowan and Carolyn Custis James captured some of my thoughts about this, with Emily recalling a professor who inspired her and mentored her at the beginning of her academic career, and Carolyn describing the positive role men can play in the lives of women. So my, I had a mentor in my undergrad program, uh, Boyd Luter, who was a professor at Criswell College in Dallas, who in my first semester, I had a couple of theology classes with him. And, you know, I was a green freshman, scared out of my mind. This was a time when Criswell was majority uh, male students. I think there were maybe maybe 10 to 20% of the population were female students. <laughs> so I was outnumbered and I was young. But he saw my writing and said, you have a really good mind for this. You're a good writer. You should keep you should keep doing this. And he eventually invited me to join him on some co-written papers for the Evangelical Theological Society. So I was presenting my work with him as an undergrad, which is kind of unheard of. But he's the one who believed in me, cheered for me, taught me how to research and write and, and just kind of opened the doors for me into these areas that have been largely, and and let's be honest, continue to be largely still male dominant and evangelical spaces. You know, one of the things that's been wonderful about my ministry, and my husband gets a kick out of this, because I, you know, I meet the most incredible men. 
I can be very discouraged by how men behave <laughs> in the church. And the Me Too, Church Too thing has, you know, decked me. And then I meet these other men who are some of the dearest brothers in Christ I could imagine. And some of them are, are young enough to be my sons. And, and some of them are older. And they, they give me hope. I mean, they're looking after their female students. They see their gifts and they want them to thrive. They're advocating for the women in their church. They want their input. So my first hope for the future is that men would become advocates for the women in their lives. Whether they want to be in church ministry or not, men, it's time we listen to women. It's time we give them the same chances we've had. If we look around and see a woman not being given a chance or a voice, let's do what we can to make it happen for her. My second hope relates to motherhood, fatherhood, and parenting. This actually connects with one of my first points, this concern that I have that a young woman finding herself as a young mother will never ever have it even considered that she would continue to pursue her career or her education. Instead, she's designated one role for the rest of her life. And then what? Can we imagine things differently? What if we started placing more of an emphasis on fathers? What if it became assumed that fathers would sacrifice their time and careers to a similar extent? What if both parents were expected to, quote, sacrifice? What if it was just the norm that they put things on hold and devote the early years of their children's lives to doing whatever needs to be done? Everyone's lives are going to look different, of course, but what if we just assumed a more equal sharing of the parental roles is what mothers and fathers do? What if both fathers and mothers work to raise their children just as they continue to support each other in their own respective careers? What if? Let's turn now to the women I interviewed. Abby Nye, Joy Qualls, Emily McGowan, and April McClure-Stewart. Carolyn Custis James is also part of this episode at certain moments. As we begin, notice how many of them had the exact same initial response to my question about the future. In 50 years, it would be lovely if we could have stop having these ridiculous conversations about women's ordination and other women have an equal seat at the table. We deserve it all. I hope we're not having this conversation. You know, that's what I hope. My hope for them and then those who come after them over the next 50 years is that we would largely get to a place where we're no longer having to defend ourselves and explain ourselves where it's it's just assumed that when you know this 15 year old girl says i think i might want to be a pastor that there are more communities in which she will be told wow that's exciting how can we as a community help discern this with you from here i will let each of them share from abby to joy to carolyn to april and then concluding with emily in 50 years 
it would be lovely if we could have stop having these ridiculous conversations about women's ordination and whether women have an equal seat at the table. We deserve it all. And from my perspective, if you're struggling to reconcile God's respect for women with what you see in the Bible, then maybe you should take a hard step back and like see how your worldview is shaping how you read the text. As somebody who is not part of ACNA anymore, but is certainly working within ACNA, me coming out and saying that like, let's stop arguing about women's ordination and just go with it is like (laughs) striking a match and dropping it into an open can of gasoline. I wish it wasn't that way. Beyond ordaining women to the priesthood, I think it's really important that we don't limit people by their gender and rather give people an opportunity to exercise their gifts where they're most needed. So perhaps you don't need to have a woman be in charge of your children's ministry. Perhaps somebody else is better suited to that. Perhaps you have a woman who really is good at preaching. Why don't you just let her do that? I guess part of that priority would be, I would love to see more people teaching about, like teaching on some of these verses and other sections of scripture that are used to stifle women. I think it's really easy for people in the complementarian world to dismiss egalitarian scholars as as being not serious or you know they're just reading what they want into scripture you know as somebody who did get a bible and theology degree it would be lovely to see like more of that the that really excellent scholarship being taught from the pulpits i think it was is it john walton he's uh he was one of my profs at wheaton he uh writes about the book of genesis and kind of our understanding of the creation account, et cetera. And he told a story of how he and his church kind of went through this process where they were analyzing scripture and trying to figure out what actually does scripture say about women and their place in the church. And he said at the end, he decided that we had made some mistakes and we were going to let women be leaders in our church. And like just hearing about that process where they're like, yeah, we, we kind of looked at this. We did our research, looked at the scholarship and we're like, oh, maybe we should change the way we do things. And they did. I think that was John Walden. Sorry, John, if it wasn't. <laughs> I would say that we need you. We need your gifts. We need your talents. And I believe in you. I hope that you find strong women to come around you and to tell you that you are valuable. I hope you find respectful men to come around you and to show you that your contributions are welcome, but we need you and we need your gifts. I hope we're not having this conversation. You know, that's what I hope. I, I, I always say, I don't, I don't want women to take over, you know, it's not, 
Um, although I always loved that quotation from um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, when she was asked, like, how many women on the Supreme Court is enough? Right. And she was like, nine, <laughs> because we've had nine men on the Supreme Court and nobody, you know, sort of batted an eyelash at 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 that fact that the court could be made up of all men, you know, so would I love the court to be made up of all women? Yes, absolutely. But, but, but what I'm not saying is like, I don't believe that for one group to rise, another group has to sit down. So, so my dream for the future is that we would learn better how to walk side by side, men and women better together, the full image of the Godhead, male and female. Um, and, and that, women as leaders would just be normal. It, it would just be normal. And so that we wouldn't be having this question about who gets to lead and who doesn't get to lead. Maybe perhaps we could be having a, a conversation about who gets to die, right? Because that's what we've been called to. We, we've been called to take up our cross. We've been called to live a life of, of death to ourselves and death to um, power and death to the to the things of this world, because that's what the God we serve came and did, right? Like that's leadership. And, and so I think I, I dream of something closer to us living more like Jesus. And that's not some utopia where everything's perfect and lovely. It, it's that we're, we're running a race to the bottom rather than a race to the top. You know, who gets to die first, <laughs> you know, who gets to, to give of themselves first. But I, I think, I think I, if I also, you know, could write a letter to my younger self, it would be to say, also just relax. Like you don't have to work so hard to prove your worth and your value, to prove that, that what God has spoken to you is real, you know, just breathe <laughs> and take in the, the peace of God, because he's ultimately the one who's working all of this out for your good. Like you don't have to strive. You don't have to constantly prove and constantly demonstrate. He, you know, if you are obedient, if you do the thing that you're called to do, it's not that you won't be without hardship, but but God will make the way. He he just will. You know, for me, what I would love to see is for the church to embrace the idea that they need different perspectives, that they, that the sort of the foundational difference of male and female needs to be honored in how we do ministry, how we take care of one another. that women are able to connect with Jesus in a really real way. And if that means the death of the church as we know it right now, that's okay. <laughs> you know, like I think, um, I really hope that, I guess in 15 years, that's not going to happen. But I think Christian women are the best hope for the future. You know, that it's not going to be because we have the spirit within us, you know, we have the spirit within our gatherings. I just talked to Church Women United, you know, and I was saying to them, it's not the Rotary Club who's going to bring salvation, you know, or um, any of our political parties. Even though all of those things can do good, it is the people of faith who have the spirit of God within them who are going to heal. And so I hope that women, 
I hope the church becomes a place of healing for women, but also that they are then empowered to offer healing to others, you know, healing and understanding that relationship becomes more and more critical to the church. I have a sense that, you know, the mainline church was in decline for so long. Uh, I'm not sure that we're ever going to have an upswing, like, <laughs> like all of us wish we had, but I do have a sense that people need um, a sort of holistic love that mainliners are well positioned to offer that. So, and I feel like there's so many women in mainline churches that are doing that. So I think honestly, if I could go back and tell my younger self something, I would say that the, the hunger for connection is a hunger for Jesus. You know, that that is not filled through the church. That's filled with with him. And to pay attention to that, because I think that's life-giving beyond the church walls. And I think I longed for that for a long time and just didn't recognize that that's what it was. And, you know, kind of tried to to make the church the most important thing. That's something else is that, like, I think a lot of us think the church is more important than... <laughs> the church actually is, you know, (laughs) and by the church, I mean, like, you know, the way that we gather in our places and our traditions and our rituals and such, but those things are going to pass away. You know, it's, it is the actual repenting and reconciling and restoring that, that we do that often takes place within these walls, but often takes place outside of these walls just as a course of living our lives that's the real church you know? and everyone can do that even if some man says you can't my hope and this is this is very real for me because i i spent a lot of time mentoring young women who are discerning callings of various kinds um My hope for them and then those who come after them over the next 50 years is that we would largely get to a place where we're no longer having to defend ourselves and explain ourselves and where it's, it's just assumed that when, you know, this 15 year old girl says, I think I might want to be a pastor That there are more communities in which she will be told, wow, that's exciting. How can we as a community help discern this with you? How can we support you as you discern this? Toni Morrison has this really profound quote. It's about racism, but I think it it has application in the area of sexism as, as well. She says, the very serious function of racism is distraction. Because they they say to you, you don't have a real culture, or they say to you, you don't have an intellect, or they say your face or your, your body isn't formed right. And so then you spend all this time defending yourself against these accusations. And what that does, it distracts you from your real good, important work. And so what I desperately want for my students, especially, and for those who are coming down the line, is that they would be freed up from those conversations, from those, you know, requests to defend ourselves, 
so that they can devote most of their energy to doing the good work that God has gifted and called them to do. I sometimes talk to my husband, like, what is it like to have been trained for ministry, go through the ordination process, and have never had someone question that? Never. Like, I don't know what that's like. (laughs) Not that we shouldn't. I mean, as churches, we should discern with our candidates for ordination. I'm not saying we don't need that. Uh, We should take care as we're raising up ministers in the church. But I mean on the basis of gender. I would just love if we were freed from that so that we could just commit ourselves to commit our energy, our time, our intellect to, to the good work that God's called us to do. I don't know who might be listening to this now or in the future, but I hope these episodes have found you well. I hope they were what you needed. This series was produced and recorded by me, Chris Marchand, with oversight from Stephen Backhouse. Stephen, it's an honor being able to do this. Thank you to all of my interviewees. I hope I honored your story as well. Our theme music is Deborah's Song by Rachel Wilhelm from her Mystery Canticles EP. You can find her on any streaming platform or support her more directly on Bandcamp. A couple of years ago, I interviewed Rachel on my own podcast, Post-Consumer Reports. She had recorded an album, a Requiem. It's one of my favorite albums of the past few years. I recommend you go check out that album. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. We are able to produce this podcast because of our Patreon backers. If you'd like to support what we do, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber for only $5 or £5 a month at www.patreon.com slash tenttheology. And there you will have access to numerous teaching series from Stephen Backhouse, extra interviews, and even the chance for a seasonal Zoom meetup. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye, friends. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com. there again. It's me, Chris. I just wrapped up my series and I wanted to thank you so much for listening to this. And I I guess you could call this a little bit of a hidden track. It's kind of an old throwback (laughs) uh, from the 90s when you had CDs and uh, your favorite artist or band would put on a hidden song at the end of the CD. I had a segment 
that I recorded, I wrote for this episode, episode four, that it just didn't quite fit. My introductions were getting kind of long for the episode. I was talking too much. I wanted to hear from the women. And I, yet I, I had something I wanted to say. And it is in regards to my time when I was actively pastoring. And it has to do with regret. It has to do with how I wish things had gone differently. And it's what I would want to say to the women who went to our church. So I wanted to share that with you now. I'm tagging it on the end of this episode, hoping that if it needs to find somebody, if it needs to reach someone's ears, someone's heart, that it will eventually get there. Thanks for listening. Regret. Let's talk about regret. My own. I was part of a church plant for over 10 years. I regret that we never had any female ministers in our church. I'm sorry about that, and I desperately wish I could have helped to make the situation different. I know I could have been a better advocate for making that happen, but for the sake of my own cowardice, job security, not wanting to ruffle feathers, not wanting to lose members that didn't support any kind of women's ordination and, in fact, uh, uh, incorporated patriarchal family systems within, within their own household. Cowardice, thus, on my part for not addressing it. And then just the general stress of trying to keep a church going. It never happened. We didn't have women as ministers. We always had women on our vestry, which is our eldership board, but the community was pastored by three men, three priests. This is not bad in and of itself. Sometimes it's just something that happens. But in this case, we could have done it differently. We could have at least made a point to strive to see women in more positions of leadership within our community, to see them more up front. We didn't do it like we should have. It's not necessarily a sin I do regret how it happened. If any woman from uh, our old church happens to be listening to this, I'm sorry if you felt like your voice wasn't heard at our church. I'm sorry if you didn't feel like you had a place as a leader. Thank you.
Thank you.